The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. First, I'd like to say um, thank you for those of you who came all day. I think it's a wonderful thing to be companions for a long day of practice like this. And I also want to thank those of you who came for part of the day. It's a wonderful thing to come and be a companion and, su- and support everyone else who's here to practice. It's, um, I think it's a very special thing that such a thing happens here. And also, uh, there are some people who came and went through the day. And uh, we weren't at the beginning, weren't at the end, but we're here for part of it. And I thank them as well. I think it's a pretty special thing that in the middle of this, you know, busy, active peninsula, whatever it is here, that um, there's a place where people can come and do a day along and come and do the whole thing, or people who can't do it for whatever reason, they can't do it, can drop in and get a little hit, a little sense of it, and come as it works for them. Part of the philosophy here at IMC is that uh, the assumption is everyone's doing the best they can. And in this urban kind of environment, people have a lot of demands on them. Some people have work, some people have family, some people have their own health and their, their life they have to take care of. And so to have a place where they can be fairly relaxed, just coming and going as it works for them, is part of the offering here. And um, <clears throat> it's also a wonderful, I think, way of practicing meditation and mindfulness that uh, is not this hyper-protected environment where we try to, you know, that in some places they, the sitting starts at 7.30. Um, at 7.30, exactly, they close the door. And if you weren't there on time, tough. You sit outside or go home or something. And, you know, and then, um, and so it's, it's, it's nice because it's very protected, it's quiet, um, no coming and going. Uh, but there's something very profo- powerful about uh, practicing in, a, in an urban area where there's more coming and going and traffic and noise and doors and loud shoes and cell phones that go off and all kinds of things. That uh, it's a little bit closer to uh, how people live their lives, ordinary lives. And so to learn how to be equanimous at peace, to learn how to practice with that, and not see it as a distraction, not seeing it as a problem, but seeing as part of what we fold into the practice, uh, I think makes this practice that we do more integrated and more, more relevant for the lives that people live. So we have kind of a hybrid here, and so I know that for some people the noises are challenging for a while. But I don't think I know of anybody who's done vipassana practice on retreats. Uh, maybe some of you are that way, but who has not been disturbed by sounds that they've had. And eventually, if they hang in there, the sounds become nothing. They come just, just they pass right through and, and um, not a problem. Um, but it takes a while to learn that. When I was first introduced to uh, Vipassana, this practice in Thailand, I was uh, practicing at a <clears throat> Uh, there was a used to be a comic strip in the United States called Pogo, and they had a, a it took place in dog pa- was it dog dog patch? Or, is that what it was called? Anyway, this kind of there's another. What was it? What was the place? 
No, there was a place where that um, Pogo had. What? The Okinoki. Anyway, they had this uh, Okinoki Swamp, right? Okinoki Swamp. It, it was um, the, this uh, temple where I stayed, this monastery meditation center I stayed at in Thailand, was um, a part of it. And my kudi, my cabin, was on a swamp. And, the whole, and there were pigs walking around. And, and um, I don't know what it was, but there was like this dragon, this like big, big lizard that crawled around and uh, wild dogs and it was like it was just chaotic you know just, and um, and then uh, there was usually uh, it's very very rare to have a monastery in Thailand or Burma where very scratchy uh, poor speakers are blasting pop music <laughs> you know and uh, there was one week we didn't have any pop music in Burma and that was because it was a holy seven days where they were going to recite the uh, Abhidhamma, the sacred psychology texts they have. And, um, and so for seven days, 24 hours a day, all the loudspeakers and all the temples that were around were all competing to see who could uh, chant the Abhidhamma loudest. And um, it, was, you know, it was amazing. And then, uh, and then when I, uh, anyway, the first time I was there, I didn't practice there, but I visited... Um, the headquarters of one of the major sects of Thai Buddhism called the Mahanikai. And they had a number of buildings and dormitories where monks lived and big place. And they went to visit a monk there. And uh, so you go into the lobby and, um, and the lobby was not that big. Uh, the lobby was, maybe the lobby was about the size of this room here. And uh, so you go into this front doors and you come into this room like this and uh, there was a big desk where a receptionist or someone, you know, checked you in when you came in, say, I want to see monk so-and-so, go up to the third floor. And, and my phones, I kept ringing, and the person's answering the phone. And all the people coming and going and asking for directions and talking and all that. And then there were these steps that went up, you know, like, so, so I imagine that going up to that little landing up there, there were steps going up, and, and right over there was a, the table, and, and so, something. Anyway, so right there, next to the steps with a desk near one side and the door over there um, was a Vipassana group that uh, were doing their practice all day long sitting and walking and meditating and you know the whole hustle and bustle of the monastery was coming and going and uh, I kind of looked at that and they seemed very settled and very concentrated and so so if you think that if you can go to Asia to finally get a quiet place to meditate. You'll go to Asia and come back and say, why, it's pretty quiet here at IMC <laughs> compared to what you can get. Anyway, this, this, anyway, I'm just giving you some background for how we're set up here and the approach that we have. So it's all kind of more integrated here um, than maybe meets the eye when you first come. So... Um, <clears throat> there are two modes, uh, sometimes useful to differentiate two modes of practicing. Perhaps both modes have their time and place when they're appropriate. Uh, one mode I call the utilitarian mode, and the other is the appreciative mode. And um, the utilitarian mode um, has a purpose and a goal. You want to accomplish something. The appreciative mode is uh, appreciating what is, appreciating something. Uh, 
in the utilitarian mode, it's about um, uh, getting something, becoming something, institute some, instituting some kind of change, and figuring out the most utilitarian way to do that. The appreciative mode, it's about um, uh, nurturing or tending or celebrating or appreciating what is there, not changing it, not getting something. In the utilitarian mode, it's, uh, there's some kind of desire that has to operate. And it's by getting something or becoming something. In the appreciative mode, it has much more to do in terms of practice, it's much, to, more, to, much more to do about how you are and recognizing how you are, appreciating how you are, being with yourself how you are. They both have their purpose, both have their time and place. They don't have to be so opposed to each other. But uh, I find that uh, one of the most useful ways of practicing is to have a strong uh, foundation in the appreciative mode and, uh, and to allow something to happen. In the utilitarian mode, it's very important to know. And so knowledge is important. In the appreciative mode, not knowing is fine because we don't have to know what's going on because we're not, we're not trying to master or understand something to find our way through it. It's fine not to know what it is. We just appreciate it for what it is. Uh, how we are with what's important, how we tend it, how we nurture it. Um, it's a little bit related to the contrast between pleasure and joy. You can make pleasure for yourself. And, uh, you know, all kinds of things you can do and experience pleasure. Um, but it's more difficult to have joy. Joy is a deeper inner thing that goes on. And so you can't, you know, you tell, you have a utilitarian mode, just kind of, okay, I'm going to get myself some joy going here. It's a joy and happiness are very different, come from very different source than the kind of utilitarian mode. It's kind of like the similar between um, um, uh, something like uh, praise and admiration. You can get people to praise you, and, you know, it maybe doesn't mean much. But to admire you, it's a whole different thing. Because that really comes from inside them, as opposed to, you know, something, you know, something on the surface, perhaps, or something that's expected, or asked for, or something. Um, and some of the important things we do in our lives really arise out of much more what I call the appreciative mode than utilitarian mode. It's something as simple as falling asleep at night. Um, I think many of us, we can, uh, I, don't, I don't know too many people who say they cause themselves to fall asleep, uh, unless they took a pill or something. Uh, they, um, uh, we set the conditions up to fall asleep. We lay, go to bed, lay down, try to be still, have the lights out, and, uh, and then s- some point we drift off into sleep. But I've tried sometimes uh, to make myself go to sleep. Like sometimes I've had a little insomnia and I and I make the effort to fall asleep. It seems, I've kind of come to the conclusion that all my efforts to fall asleep are counterproductive, just keep me awake. I have to kind of stop trying to do it. And so, so this, you know, it's a different kind of mode. Something else comes into play. We create the conditions for it, and then something else operates that helps us fall asleep. I don't know if it's for all of you, but that's for, certainly for me. And so the appreciative mode is very important. And for practice, like meditation, the appreciative mode is really an important one to understand and have at the foundation 
for uh, the practice. So rather than trying to get something or change something, how can you appreciate what's here? And I know there's a lot of suffering sometimes and a lot of pain, a lot of challenges. And, uh, and so that's often we're very motivated to try to change something and the quicker the better. And that's okay to do that uh, sometimes. But even there sometimes the effort we make to change what's happening is sometimes counterproductive. And sometimes it's even, uh, sometimes when we're successful at changing some of the distress that we might, might have through meditation, it can sometimes be counterproductive because we get the idea that um, uh, we can just use the meditation to blast away our difficulties. And, and I, I had that mode for a while on retreat where I, I developed a certain level of concentration and if you have enough concentration, you can over you can override or obliterate or step away from or or somehow um, uh, leave the world of pain behind, and um, and so I, I got kind of good at that. And so pain would start up, and I'm okay. Let's get concentrated now. And sure enough, the pain would go away. Uh, and then I started congratulating myself for that. I started feeling, oh, I can do this. I can master this. And you know, that's all it takes. And then the day came, soon enough, on that retreat, where I could no longer blast the pain away. Um, and uh, the pain stayed. And the more I tried to you know, concentrate and focus, the stronger it got and the more frustrated I got. And, and only then did I realize how much I was attached to the idea that I could get rid of the pain. And that I was going to, you know, as opposed to learning how to live with the pain, and learn how to relax with the pain and find a whole different kind of freedom that doesn't require getting rid of the difficulty but uh, has to do with how we are with it. To be equanimous, be peaceful, not be fighting it, not be struggling, not to assign meaning to it, not to live in the world of um, this means that, you know, tomorrow or this means that my leg's going to fall off because my knee hurts and I'll never walk again. Um, it's pretty rare that a meditator never walks again. Um, the, um, but you know, we make all these, make all these stories. And so, and so um, to learn to be with and not get caught up in this seductive, tempting uh, promise of the utilitarian mode, that I can do it, that to just figure out what to do, I can get rid of it. At times that's useful, at times it works, and it has its, its and what, what, there's hopefully of the wisdom to know when to use it, when to do that. But I feel like one of the things that most people uh, could do more to learn how to do is to do what I'm calling tonight the appreciative mode, the mode of um, being present for what is, and um, and nurturing what is what is beautiful, nurturing what is nice there, supporting something to grow. And so when there is great difficulty. Um, in practice, lots of distress, psychological challenges, difficult mind, physical pain, whatever. Um, what is it we can appreciate? What is it we can nurture and support? And, um, and so part of what we can do is these five faculties, the five strengths that I've been talking about today. These are uh, capacities we have. They're always there. And, um, and can we recognize them? Can we uh, appreciate what's there? Can we appreciate the confidence that we have? Every single one of you 
had to have some kind of confidence to come here today. You might not have thought of that, you weren't thinking about that, you weren't seeing yourself through the lens of having confidence. Some of you might have trip, had trepidation coming here, like, you know, worried about your coming, getting self-involved in. And, and, um, and uh, many people, when they come for the first retreat, they're scared and worried. And that's, you know, it's, uh, but you came anyway. And so coming anyway means, I think, means you had some confidence in something, uh, some confidence in yourself. And so to appreciate that. You put in effort. It's not easy to spend the day doing what we do here. Um, I know a lot of people, you go down to El Camino, downtown Redwood City, just, you know, just choose a random person and uh, kidnap them. Put them right down here for the day at IMC. Start, tell them six o'clock in the morning. Take them out of Starbucks. Bring them here. Today, you're just going to sit here all day, and you get to walk. And food's going to be provided, but sit and walk. No one's going to talk to you. <laughs> they, they'd probably call the police and get you arrested <laughs> for torture or something. The um, it's. Um, it's quite, a, a quite an amazing thing what you've done today. It's not a lot of people can do it. It takes a certain amount of fortitude, effort, persistence, courage, confidence to do it. So you made the effort to be here. Uh, you tried to be mindful, and you, I'm sure you were. And I'm, sh- I'm pretty confident that your degree of mindfulness you had through the day was probably higher than it would have been if you didn't come, if you were out about doing what you do. And I know from my own experience that I've been sometimes very poor to recognize that it's better than what it would have been. Because there's a certain kind of self-consciousness that comes into play when we are self-aware. And so I was, I'd be aware of how much I wasn't present. I'm failing. But actually I'm more present than I would have been if I was just doing my ordinary life. So to appreciate that. I appreciate that you are present more than normal. You're going in the right direction. And then the faculty of concentration, of steadiness, holding steady, um, uh, calmly, steadily, continuing the practice, the focus of what you're doing. And um, there also, same thing with mindfulness. Uh, You probably have more calm, more steadiness, more continuity here than you would be if you were wandering around, unless you're watching a Warriors game. You probably have all the all the concentration you need. If only you had that level of concentration, you know, here you'd probably be in nirvana now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's a fair amount of concentration compared to what's normal. And then the last one is wisdom or discernment. Uh, I think that uh, there's a kind of seeing yourself, seeing what goes on, seeing your reaction, seeing how you are, seeing what's you know, what's what in your inner life that's very intimate, very connected in this practice. Seeing how hard you are on yourself, seeing how kind you are, seeing how the kind of thoughts and concerns that really are grabbing you and pull you away. This is all part of the wisdom to see all that. And my guess is that a good percentage of you are a little bit wiser than you were at the beginning of the day. You know yourself better than you were before. And so to appreciate the wisdom, the discernment, the seeing that's happened here.
by appreciating this and recognizing it, um, that, the, that which is good, that which is help, healthy within us, tends to grow with appreciation. And um, <clears throat> that which is unwholesome, unhealthy, tends to shrink with recognition. And uh, so to recognize these, it might, might seem like a very small thing, your, con- your level of confidence or effort or mindfulness or concentration or, um, or wisdom might seem very small, but to appreciate it allows it to grow, makes room for it to happen. When I was practicing with Upandita in Burma, um, he sometimes uh, uh, used as an analogy or metaphor that of, um, of uh, you know, these, uh, I, I, see, I know them as being kind of, you buy uh, coming from China, these uh, Chinese uh, snakes, wooden snakes that are segmented and so they, you know, they can twist quite nicely. And, um, and so if you take it from the back and you push it, then it bunches all up into all little twists. And it's a little bit harder to get it go across the table. But if you pull from the head, then it straightens out and it slides nicely. So um, to appreciate what's there, it's a little bit more like taking from the head and, letting, and make, you know, pulling it along. Uh, to see what's not there and complain about how difficult it is. Oh, I didn't have enough mindfulness today. I was so distracted. Uh, that's like trying to push from behind. And so sometimes it's useful to pull. Now this is not Pollyannish. This is not kind of pretending. This is not denying the challenges of what's going on. But this is just recognizing um, what is hope- helpful and wholesome within us. Appreciating it. Uh, noticing how we are. And then uh, fostering it, nourishing it, letting it support us. Because uh, one of the little, I don't know if it's a secret, but uh, underappreciated aspects of this mindfulness practice is a point that I've been made maybe a few times today. And that is that we can get a tremendous amount of benefit in our lives that doesn't require our problems to change but comes from us becoming stronger or bigger or more skillful with it. So um, to, um, you know, I've had physical pain. I still have physical pain when I meditate sometimes. And um, when I was a new practitioner, I was devastated by my physical pain. I was so hard on myself, so critical, so discouraged. Uh, It was, uh, you know, it was kind of a, there were times when I started crying because of it. It was pretty, you know, pretty ugly, or whatever you want to call it. It was hard for me. And um, I can have the same level of physical pain now, and I'm not troubled by it. So, oh, there it is, it's pain. And my well-being and my happiness is not um, linked to the pain. It used to be linked. And what's happened slowly over, the, over my practice, uh, my capacity for mindfulness for effort, my, my capacity, my, my, the presence of confidence in me, all these five faculties have gotten stronger. And as they've gotten stronger and stronger, um, it's kind of like I've become independent of the pain. I'm not so tied to it, I'm not identified with it. There's this bigger, nicer thing that's there, that's present. 
I try not to ignore the pain. I, the pain is a very important signal to be wise about. But, uh, you know, I cannot pay attention to it and not be disturbed or not get agitated because there's pain. So kind of like my mind is stronger or bigger or more spacious or, or um, less, uh, less influenced, not less affected by the pain. So all kinds of issues in our lives can be that way. Um, I used to be quite uh, hard for me to sit and uh, meditate when it was really hot. In Thailand, I'd get up from meditation sometimes during the hot season in March. And um, I'd be sitting on a little mat like this and I'd get up and look back at my mat and there was a outline of my body in wet all the way around because I was just sweating and sweating. And, um, and I was, you know, it was difficult for me. And then at some point I learned that uh, how to be present for the heat, my hot body, and not to have my mind or my heart tied to it, to be entangled with it, to be disturbed by it or define myself by it. And so my mind or my heart, my, these five faculties, became stronger, uh, more independent than uh, this uncomfortable feeling of heat that I had. And so just, you know, I'm hot. That's just hot. And uh, I'm not hot, it's exactly, it's just hot. Um, or I've been sad or I've been angry, different kinds of ways of being. And, uh, and then I have the ability to be present for it, to be with it. And again, same thing with, uh, with confidence, with effort, with mindfulness, with concentration and wisdom enough. So I'm not defined by the anger or the sadness or the grief. Uh, I can see it, I can practice with it. Um, I have a friend who's a, uh, been a Buddhist teacher and practitioner for, um, I don't know, probably 40 years or so who um, now has uh, uh, kind of advanced stage cancer. And maybe there's, uh, he's now doing chemotherapy, which has been very hard for him. Um, uh, very debilitating. He had kidney failure, had to go into the hospital. And, and uh, he's gonna have a st stem cell uh, transplant soon. And so he's having a really hard time. But, um, you know, conventionally, I mean, you know, but um, his attitude towards it is one of curiosity. He's just like, he's like super interested in find out, to find out what this experience is like. What happens to the mind? What happens to him? How does he relate to it? What, hap what, is, what is consciousness like when he's involved in you know, these altered states that come from being so sick and, and nauseous and debilitated and body shaking, he said. And, uh, and what a conscious is like when, it, when he comes out of that. And so, you know, to, uh, to listen to him talk, it's contagious, like his curiosity and his interest. And he's not defined by the, you know, negatively by the debilitating condition he's in. He has this, this, this strength of interest, the strength of curiosity, which I think uh, represents the sum total of these five strengths that I've been talking about today. Um, you know, his desire to see and to learn, his curiosity, has a lot to do with the wisdom factor. The wisdom has to do with seeing clearly what's there. So he wants to see. And uh, he has a lot of confidence that, um, 
I don't know if he has much confidence he has in himself at that point, but he has a lot of confidence in the process. A lot of confidence it's worthwhile to try to look and study and explore. Uh, he has a lot of a lot of conf- a lot of st- he has a strength of effort. He's he's making his effort the best he can. It's like what he wants to do with his life is really kind of study and discover what this is. He has a lot of mindfulness. He's really staying present, staying there, and there's a kind of steadiness and a concentration there. So all this is uh, is kind of uh, reinforce the idea, hopefully, that um, one of the things we're trying to do in this practice is to develop strength. And, um, and that strength can serve us. And it doesn't require things to go away. Um, it doesn't require us to have new experiences. But it's, we're with our experiences in a new way. Whatever is going on, we're being in a new way. And so as these five faculties become strengths, they also are portable. And so uh, we, can, we can begin applying them or using them in other areas of our life besides meditation. Um, like my friend, you know, maybe if you get sick, you can call on the five faculties to, you know, to really help you engage with your illness and your situation. Rather than being a victim of the illness and just kind of passively sitting there letting you know, the doctors take care of you or something, um, we can uh, bring forth these five faculties uh, or bring forth the mindfulness practice supported by the other four faculties. And it becomes a strength, these faculties, when we don't undermine them, we don't uh, give up on them because of the inner talk that goes on about I can't do it, it's not worth it, it's not going anywhere, it's too hard, it's, um, you know, it's, uh, why bother? Um, you know, I can't do it, I'm not good enough. This is too big, what I'm up against. Uh, it has no, there's no point. So all these kind of, all these kinds of, I don't know, you, you probably have your own kind of inner talk that can undermine you. They bec- these, these five faculties become strengths when we're not undermined anymore. We can hold the course steadily going, 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 stay with it. And perhaps we've had enough, uh, seen the results of it enough to reinforce the confidence. Oh yeah, this really works. This is really worthwhile. This is, to practice with our experience, to practice with what's going on is more worthwhile than any of the alternatives. And the alternatives maybe are not so useful. And so, then uh, with time, we do the opposite movement with some of the unhealthy tendencies we have. We lose confidence in them. We stop making effort to support them. We stop giving them a lot of attention. We stop being focused on them, concentrated on them. And we stop trying to wisely sustain them, wisely justify them, wisely, you know, whatever understanding we have. So. There's a diminishing of the five faculties in relationship to some things and the strengthening of them in relationship to others. So strength. So we have a few minutes before the end. And um, does anyone like to ask anything or make a comment about what I've taught today or this whole idea of strength? Anyone like to protest strongly?
and uh, or would uh, any comment about today that you'd like to make? Yes, Suzanne. And maybe you can use the mic because some people have hearing assistant devices. How do you not? Is this working? Is the light there? on? Is it on? Is no, it it's on? Yeah. How do you not be utilitarian about being appreciative? Because I could sense that my tendency is going to be, I need to be appreciative. Which uh-huh. is so how, how not to be utilitarian about being appreciative? Yeah. You know, it's, I think it's okay. None of these are uh, wrong in and of themselves. It's how we use them. So I would encourage you to, to do, it, do it anyway and be curious. And, and, uh, and, and try to be mindful of what the consequences are, how that works for you. And if it works for you, go for it. And if it uh, but if you run into a dead end with it, uh, learn from that. And, and, and then figure out how to make an adjustment when you have actually seen for yourself that it doesn't work. Or, or maybe you already have. Could you repeat what you said? What you said about strength going away? Oh, so um, we have unhelpful tendencies and we have helpful tendencies, and so um, we can. Uh, these wonderful faculties we have—the five faculties—they uh, are also used for unhealthy tendencies. We can have confidence in being angry. We can have put a lot of effort into sustaining the anger. We can give a lot of attention, mindfulness to anger, so keep it going. We could uh, be very concentrated on the anger. And we can be, I don't know if we can be wise about the anger, but we can be clever (laughs) 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 about it, you know, to keep it going and justify it and all this kinds of stuff. So uh, hopefully with time, the five faculties in relationship to those things get weaker. Not trying to, can you turn it up slightly? I have trouble hearing. I'm yeah. not trying to transform my pain. And for so long, my whole life, I was thought that's like what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to transform my pain. And from the talk, I kind of realized that I'm not supposed to. I was doing, I was supposed to. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, it's very good. But you have to, uh, one little caution. Uh, and one, you, you don't know me so much, but I think I like to always, you know, in all circumstances, well, it's not always that way. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's different. And so um, um, uh, we don't want to go overboard because sometimes we actually need to do something about the pain and change it, right? And, and it's actually not a good thing to kind of live with pain. Um, 
And um, I learned that when I had, uh, about, I don't know, about, probably about 13 years ago, I had my tonsils taken out. And, uh, you know, I knew how to practice, and I thought I was a good practitioner. And, and I thought, oh, you know, I'm, I don't want to take a lot of pain medication. And the doctor said, be sure to take it, you know, you know, every, what, I don't know, four hours or something, be sure to take it. And, and I said, well, you know, okay, so I'll, I'll, just, wait, I'll just wait until it starts hurting, you know, so I don't have to take so much of it. And um, what I didn't know is it takes a while for the pain medication to work. And so I would wait, and then I would take it, but then it was already so bad, I was actually shaking. And then it took a while for the pain medication to work. And it's not, that kind of, you know, pain was actually debilitating to have. So anyway, so it was just, I'm sorry to go on and on, but I think that it's, what you learned today was really great, and, but be careful you don't make it, you know, don't go overboard with that either. question, how, how to apply this unshakable faith to um, fear of unknown? Well, I think, uh, how do you apply? Uh, uh, it, that implies that uh, you, you have some unshakable faith. Do you have some? I, I do. But for, uh, for what? Well, it's 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 all it's a generally for unknown whatever the situation I don't know and and I'm and I'm fearful about. So so you so you don't have confidence for the unknown, right? But um, um, but you, do you have confidence about some things? I do. Mm. So uh, describe a little bit if you can uh, what you know about your the confidence you do have. What does it feel like what? Um, it has worked, even if it was an unknown at the time, and then I worked through it uh-huh. some level, and it became known. And but there was fear, definitely fear before. Ah, so so you, the confidence you developed began with fear, and then working through something until you had some mastery or understood something and some competency, and then you had confidence. Right. So actually, being in that fear, I guess that's. Yeah. So, so I think you just answered your question. Right. The unpleasant part, going through the unpleasant part of t- uh, through the fear, the whatever that, that is. So that sounds like that's your way. Right. And that sounds really wise to me. But I was looking for a different way, simply, but oh, mind, mind way, but <laughs> there is an experiential way, obviously. Oh, I see. Yeah. Uh, but what I would uh, encourage you uh, uh, is, uh, yeah, so you have to figure out how, uh, how much fear you want to go through, sometimes it's useful to do it in small dosages. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's useful to be courageous, just jump right in and go through. But I think uh, if it's, you're not sure what to do, I think it's just, uh, useful to kind of t- make in small steps. Uh, so one exercise is, um, uh, uh, is to you know, f- know you're afraid and imagine you're standing across the street looking at it. And if you're that far away, then maybe it's okay just to gently look at it for a while. But to really be right where in the body where it is and feel it is just overwhelming. 
So just kind of be far away or, or, or take your mindfulness like, like mindfulness or your attention is like soft cotton gauze and gently come and just tap the fear for a few times and, and pull away. So you're just doing little, little dosages mm. of it and then begin to have confidence that you can be with it for a moment. You can be for, with it for a, a distance and that's confidence. And then, uh, and then next time you go a little bit closer or you keep the soft attention a little bit longer with it. And slowly over time, you'll learn that it's safe to go closer and closer to the fear. I think that's very helpful because I think that's what I actually was doing. Uh-huh. Um, building it up, so to speak. Slowly. Steady. Slowly, like being kind of like almost blind, but kind of like feeling my way through. Wonderful, yeah. So I think confidence is something that uh, often uh, uh, is th- best to think that it grows slowly and steadily and not kind of uh, try to go too, f- too fast. But it takes it making the effort. That's why effort is so important. Right. But you have to make the right effort, the wise effort, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes very small steps in getting confidence in it. And some people feel small steps don't count. Well, maybe they don't count much, each small step. But you put enough steps together, you can climb right. a mountain. Okay, so thank you all. So um, I know it's late. Uh, I don't know if anybody w- wants to stay a few minutes, but usually at the end of day longs, we do some more of the tidying. I don't know. Probably mo- all that needs to be done today is the, if someone can vacuum in here and maybe clean the bathrooms. Is there any, are, there, are there maybe four f- people who are willing to stay? One, two, three. The bathrooms are done. Oh, the bathrooms are done? Oh. So maybe the only thing needed to do is to vacuum. Would you mind doing that? Organizing the cushions. Oh, should I get cushions? Yeah. 